0: away are sending signals to earth nasa hasn't confirmed it but we know that they're talking to us they're talking to <laughs> it's me the year the aliens finally come talk to you sabrina
1: and also the year that everyone's very concerned that something is wrong <laughs> with me <laughs> uh oh wow new year let's
0: uh hope for hope for hope hope something for good. good there's a lot of uh Positive energy, I think, that we can push out into the earth, into the yeah. space around us. Agreed. And make the most of it. You know what? We can't promise much,
1: but we can promise you that there will be plenty of ghost stories in twenty twenty one. And um in twenty twenty one I'm going to start off by telling you guys I lied to everyone last episode in twenty twenty. Because what did you lie about. I said that Sabrina was done.
0: But there's one more season that just oh. came out. <laughs>
1: did i worry you you looked so concerned
0: i was concerned and also when you just said sabrina was done it it for a minute it took my brain <laughs> a second more of processing to understand that you were talking about the show and not yourself in third person i was like oh we're really going an interesting route right episode. right yes I, I guess i should clarify that i forget that i have the same name uh
1: chilling adventures of sabrina which is a show on netflix <laughs> which i had previously said was over kaput den done what uh is <laughs> done is a different word if you say it with an accent <laughs> this is 2021 but the show is still it's it's here the brains are fried the brains are fried it's the aliens i'm telling you they put something in my brain and it is it too is done um maybe i was saying the truth when i said something.
0: maybe you were did you make any new year's resolutions no um <laughs> <laughs> No.
1: <laughs> I'm just trying to be trying to be me. I want to go to therapy more and just
0: deal with my shit. What about you? That's a good one. I make this every year, so it's embarrassing to say because it just means I failed every year. <laughs> I need to floss my teeth more. Oh, that's a good one. I need to get I would love to be someone who flosses their teeth every night. Nick so. won't let me go
1: to bed without flossing my teeth. So he <gasps> he is my So you
0: are who I want to be. <laughs>
1: I would not do it if I did not have him, I will say. Like I will yeah. leave the bathroom after brushing my teeth and he will drag me back in and put the floss in front of me and say, floss your teeth.
0: Wow. You know, I'm guilty of flossing my, <laughs> this is so weird, my front teeth every day, but I really need to get into the back oh, teeth. Oh yeah. The back's important. I get really lazy. That's where all the gunk is. we well, are already halfway
1: there. You're starting in the front. So just. I know. I know. I know. The I know. extra. The extra. 30 seconds it takes.
0: I'll do it this year. That's my only resolution, so I can't fail. <laughs> I'll put a, I'll put thing. a
1: Google Calendar alert for myself every day at 7 p.m. to text you to
0: floss. To remind you. To remind me. To, to remind, remind you, you to remind me. <laughs> That's a good idea. And you know what? I should do that for myself because if I can remind myself to sign up for the HGTV Dream Home every day, I should be able <laughs> to floss my teeth every day. <laughs> oh, yeah. Every day at 7 a.m. Eastern. That is what I'm doing.
1: I'm locking oh, putting gosh. In my info. Yeah, you can, uh, I feel, I have faith in you with flossing this year.
0: Thanks. Yeah. Well, we'll all get our, our stuff, our goals. Yeah. Oriented or no goals. Maybe the goal is just to, to live and enjoy life a little bit. I think a goal could also be starting this podcast by saying what podcast it
1: is. Oh, the- oh sh- <laughs> this is two girls, one go. Two girls, one go and we are your ghostesses that's corinne hello and i'm sabrina and this is an encounters episode the very first episode of 2021 so already following through with a promise to you we're gonna share lots of listener stories of ghosts and paranormal amazing amazing would you like to start
0: i would thanks for asking hmm. mm-hmm. <laughs> i like this it's like where we go into the folder of the emails we prepared and you look at the titles Gotta decide which one goes first. What's the order? Okay. I have one and this is from Aiden
1: and it's called "Others People's Trash Isn't Always Someone Else's Treasure. Hey ladies, I just want to thank you for all your hard work. I absolutely love the podcast. I'm a huge lover of all things scary and paranormal and listening to your podcast feeds my spooky soul. So I'm originally (laughs) from the Yellowknife, Northwest Territories, which is at the northern part of Canada. I was about nine when we moved across Canada to a small town near Ottawa, Ontario, the southeast part of Canada and the capital. Uh, yeah, I know Ottawa. My cousins live there. (laughs) (laughs) Connection! When we moved to Ontario, my mom, a lover of interior design, got really into antiques and secondhand shops because in the small capital of Yellowknife, all the beautiful old antiques were far and few between. So, by the time we had lived in our new house for about five years... Basically, every piece of furniture was an antique. And around this time, my parents were referred to a medium that my uncle on my dad's side had recommended. Her name was Farouz. She was a beautiful, kind-hearted woman from Egypt, and she and my parents bonded and actually ended up becoming friends. Farouz has been right about almost everything she has shared with us about our family and made my skeptic father a believer and even brought tears to his eyes on multiple occasions. Anyway... During my mom's period of extreme antiquing, she picked up an old fur coat. She got it for a very good price considering full fur coats can be in the thousands, but she didn't think too much of it and chalked it up to just a really sweet find. I don't think she actually ever wore it, but kept it in her walk-in closet in her room. One night when my dad was out of town for a business trip, my mom came bursting into my room at around 3 a.m., absolutely terrified. She woke me up out of a dead sleep and asked if she could sleep with me, sounding very, very scared. I was very confused and very tired, but said yes and rolled over without asking any questions. The next morning when I woke up, I completely forgot her crawling into bed with me, and it took me a minute to remember our conversation and how scared she had sounded. When she woke up, I asked her why she had to sleep with me, and she told me that she woke up and felt like there was something in the room with her. She could feel eyes staring so intensely on her, that she felt uncomfortable and threatened by the presence. We decided to go check out the room to see if anything was lingering, and if she still felt it, but there was nothing, and she felt okay in her room again. Luckily, my dad came home that day, and she didn't have to sleep alone in the room again. She didn't have anything else happen while my dad was around, but did feel a little spooked when she was in the closet by herself, but we never could figure out why. A few weeks later, Farooz came to visit our house. When she got there, she asked my mom to see all of her antiques to ensure nothing was attached to them that was unwanted and to see if she could find the source of my mom's scary experience. When my mom took her into her room, she asked if she had any antique furniture pieces in the closet. My mom told her there was no furniture, but that she had just gotten this coat at a secondhand store. My mom went into her closet to grab it, and as soon as she showed the coat to Farouz, Farouz told her to get rid of it. She said, until you can dispose of it properly, keep it somewhere where people often don't visit. She wouldn't tell her why until my mom placed it somewhere else and out of their sight. Turns out that there was a very angry spirit of an elderly woman attached to it. It was her coat when she was alive, and she had a bad relationship with her daughter, who when her mother passed, kept none of her things not even her beloved coat, so she was resentful and pissed off that her daughter didn't keep anything and had attached herself to her most cherished item in her afterlife. The coat hung around in the basement despite Farooza's clear instructions to get rid of it, and my friends and I would never be able to hang near that closet. My one friend, whose whole family is very sensitive and have had crazy experiences with ghosts and demons, story for another time once I get their approval. Uh, immediately asked what was different about the basement and said that she hated the feeling when we first went down there. It was all because of the coat. My brother also had pretty crazy experiences after we moved the coat into the basement because his room was close to the basement door. My brother is on the spectrum and he's a very well-rounded human being and has really overcome his intellectual disability in absolutely every way. I'm very proud to call him my brother, but people with autism slash Asperger's are known to be more open to the spirit world, and he's had his fair share of experiences throughout his entire life, which could also be another slew of stories to share another day. After the coat had been moved downstairs, he used to wake up in the middle of the night to something tugging at his blanket. He'd basically end up playing tug of war with his blankets until he had enough and would scream at whatever it was to leave him alone. A dark apparition would stand in the dark corners of his rooms, and he would also hear a hissing noise every once in a while. My brother, a very patient human being and clearly very brave, eventually had enough and told my mom she had to get rid of the coat because he could not handle it anymore. I'm not actually sure what she did with it, and I always forget to ask because it seems like it was so long ago now. Hopefully, wherever it ended up, the woman is happier and everyone is safe. Anyway, thanks again for this amazing podcast, and I'll
0: see you on the other side, Aiden. Man, I mean, I feel I feel a bit bad for the the woman whose coat it was, but also it's kind of a good example of you built your bed, now you sleep in it, sort of thing. Like she had, I mean, we don't know anything about her relationship with her daughter, and who was at fault or what possibly happened, but for her daughter to not keep anything mm-hmm. of hers, that must have been painful and there must have been a lot of emotion behind her daughter's decision yeah yeah i mean so maybe even ways. just the energy of that decision and of that event is what kept her linked to the coat right
1: well it sounds like she also this woman who owned the coat had a bad relationship with her daughter so like she probably has this lingering baggage or unresolved issues that she's mm-hmm. still not willing to deal with in the afterlife and that's why she's holding on to like She's holding on to this jacket, this coat, more than this relationship with her daughter that she didn't fix, you know?
0: Yeah, she's in denial a bit. And now and now Aiden's family has yeah. to be the ones that deal with her spirit. I don't know what it is, but I'm imagining
1: this woman who owned the coat, like, in the corner of Aiden's brother's room, hissing. And it makes me laugh. And I know it should make me very afraid, but I just, I'm like, come on, lady. It, it, that's a little bit much.
0: Yeah. It's one of those things where someone's so fired up and they feel so much emotion and yet their emotion only becomes more, I guess, triggered because the person that's watching them is just like, this is so ridiculous that you feel a little bit of pity for someone who's just so deep into this one situation that they can't see clearly. Like I kind of want to just now if I ever
1: get mad at someone, just want to hiss at them.
0: They say a good self-defense tip for women is to bark at people when they try to attack you or come too close. Just start barking. And I think if you hiss,
1: that might also be applicable. <laughs> that's, that's what we say. If you hiss,
0: it will help. <laughs> Bark, hiss, scream, scratch, run, moo, attack. Do whatever you moo. can. Or just do the classic wait, you can see me? <laughs> and really freak them out.
1: <gasps> you shouldn't bother. I'm already dead. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh, gosh. Okay, what do you have? All right. Uh, just to. As a little warning, there is... This is quite a sad one. Oh. This is from our listener, Emily. It's called My Best Friend is a Ghost. Hey, ladies. My name is Emily, and I stumbled across your podcast recently, and I've been binging to it through my eight-hour work days and on my 40-minute commute to work. I have a story that I've never shared, but I want to find peace, and this is something that's changed my life, and it still haunts me. In 2013, I was 21 years old. I was living life up and partying with my best friends. My very best friend in the whole world's name was Emily too. We grew up together and we were inseparable. We had teachers call us M M&M, and M, and we lived not even a half mile away from each other. We went to different colleges, but made it a point to see each other often. One weekend over Christmas break, she was going on a weekend trip to Penn State to visit one of our other best friends. On the way there, she wrecked her car on the road called Wyckoff Run. It's a really windy back road that people, me especially, don't like driving. She decided to just come home because her car was in rough shape and she was really shaken up. And she said that she almost put her car over a steep ledge. Whoa. Her dad picked her up. And when she got home, she came over to my parents' house and we laid around watching movies and drinking beer. We were watching the movie The Fog and being our typical weirdo selves. She asked me, how would you want to die if you were in a situation like that? And I replied, I guess I would probably lock myself in a pharmacy and take medicine and die. I said, how would you go? And she responded, I would want to drown because I heard it's the most peaceful way to go. I was like, oh, you're a fucking weirdo. And we just laughed because my best friend was always talking about how she didn't want to live past 30 because she was so afraid of getting early onset Alzheimer's, which her great grandma had. Anyway, that was on Friday night. Sunday night, I picked her up and she was fighting with her boyfriend her car was in the shop and she came over and we had some drinks. We decided to go into town into the bar in our sweatpants because why not? We were mm. 21 in one of the smallest towns. Everyone knows how we look on the regular. <laughs> so we went in for just a few hours. And over that time, I had three beers and a shot. My best friend is a tiny little thing. So she got drunk very quickly. The night went on and we left to go home around 1.30 a.m. I felt fine to drive. I'm a bigger girl and I had about one drink per hour. So I felt confident to go home. We stopped at Sheets, a local gas station that sells amazing food. And while in there, a police officer told me to make sure that Emily gets home because, as usual, she was belligerent. <laughs> we decided to go the back way home. On the back way home, there's a little curve on a bridge, and it's the last possible spot that you get service. Emily's boyfriend had been trying to call her, and finally, he called me right in that spot. I looked down to answer, and my car scraped the old bridge that we were crossing. The bridge was so rusted... That it crumpled and my car flipped upside down and into the creek. As we were going down, I quickly told Emily to roll down her window and unbuckle, knowing that we needed to try to get free. The creek is normally knee-deep, but for the first time that winter, it was January, the sun had melted all of the snow, and the creek was a lot higher. The car started to fill up with water. It was so dark that I couldn't even see Emily. The water was freezing and it was loud, but we were coming up with plans together. We couldn't get out, and we were trying everything. We tried to call 911 to kick out the windshield, to open the doors, to stop the water. And finally, we just accepted that we weren't going to get out. And we held hands, and we told each other how much we loved each other. And the entire time, Emily was so calm. I was crying, saying, I don't want to die. And Emily kept reassuring me, everything's going to be okay. I will get us out of here. And finally, as the water was up to my chin, I said, okay, help me try to push open the door one more time. And she said, okay. And I let go of her hand, and I shoved open the door. It opened. I swam out. I reached in to pull her out, but I couldn't feel her. So I climbed over the car, which was upside down, and I opened her side of the car. I reached in to pull her out, and she wasn't there. I swam into the car. She wasn't there. My only thought is that she must have gotten pushed out when the door opened, and she was back up on the creek. I climbed up on top of the car again, and I pulled myself onto the bridge. By that time, the rush of the creek pushed us to the other side, the non crumpled side. And once I pulled myself up, I ran up to the house on the road, knowing that family and knowing the mom and dad were nurses. I pounded on the door, soaking wet. And when they answered, I was yelling that they needed to go help and find Emily. Once the ambulance got there for me, they loaded me in, and the lady kept telling me that I was going to be okay. And I remember looking at her and just being like, No, it won't. Emily isn't here anymore. I don't feel her. I somehow knew that my other half was gone. And this was confirmed once I was in the emergency room. I found out later that Emily was found in the back of the car. There was no way that that could have happened. I cannot for my life figure out how she could have gotten back in there in the amount of time for me to open the door, try to pull her out from my side, then try to pull her out from her side, and then go in the car. I had her hand. She was right next to me. And it wasn't until years later that I wondered if it was Emily helping me through it all in her spirit. Maybe it was just a coping mechanism to deal with the immense guilt and grief from it all, but it was the only thing that could ma- that made any sense to me. There was no way that she could have gotten back into an upside-down car that fast. It was literally seconds after I let go of her hand that I reached back in. I have extremely vivid dreams of her anytime I'm going through something rough. I know it's her watching out for me. I have a four-year-old daughter now, and she has something called PFAPA, which is a periodic fever condition, which is now much better During this time, she would have extremely high and scary fevers, and after an episode, she saw a picture of Emily and told me that she would help her sleep when she doesn't feel good, and that she'd sit with her when she was sick, and i get goosebumps and teary-eyed recalling this now. I have never said anything about Emily to my daughter, and so it came out of nowhere. I've always been somewhat of a skeptic, so maybe it's my guilt and coping mechanism to try to deal with my grief, but I wanted to share my story. Sorry for the long email, and if I ramble, it's my first time talking about this, and I'm still working on processing the trauma from it all. I ended up serving nine months in jail for involuntary manslaughter, and I'm finishing my bachelor's degree now. I have a good job and an attitude, and I attribute a lot of how I'm doing to knowing that my best friend, a ghost, is helping me through it all. When my daughter is sick, at least I know, ghost auntie M., is there making sure that she heals up love your podcast i know you two would have been just the people that emily and i would have loved to hang out with see you on the other side emily wow my heart
1: aches so much i know for for you emily and for the loss of your best friend and i can't imagine that pain but i love i love that she's there watching over your daughter i mean oh my gosh. That's amazing that her daughter saw a photo of of Emily and was like, she sits by my bed when I can't
0: sleep and helps me helps me sleep. Auntie M is there taking care of her little baby, Ugh. and it does make me wonder because the way that Emily describes M em is that M was very small, very petite, and it does make me wonder that in those moments where she said that she was frantic and M was much more calm mm-hmm. and you know helping her get out of the car if. If that was M in in spirit form, right, helping her out. Wow, that's heartbreaking. I know, chills. Oh, just an absolute nightmare for anyone to go through. Yeah, but on the other side of things, so many people. We always say this: so many people ask for signs. So many people, when dealing with grief, are looking to connect with their loved one in any way. Mm-hmm. And Emily does have a connection with M. She. Can feel her. She has her visit in hard times. Her daughter sees her. Yeah. So she very much is still present, and their connection is is clearly super strong. And they sound like they're traveling souls, and they'll see each other in their next life. They'll find each other again. They're M and M. They're M and M. And you know, maybe, maybe one day when Emily is older and gray, and her daughter has. <gasps> A Ugh. child she will recognize the soul of her best friend Ugh. in that kid or if she has
1: another kid or if mm-hmm. her daughter
0: has a best friend yeah maybe whoever her daughter marries in the future wow so many possibilities so many oh so well, thank beautiful. you emily for sharing that yeah. with us it's very special we feel very honored to be ones that to hear it and that you feel comfortable enough sharing that with us yeah
1: and i do hope sharing it and talking about it or writing about it was helpful for you because yeah it's a very, very traumatic experience to go through. And I imagine keeping that to yourself must be hard. Okay. This is a story from Kinsey. And it's called That's Not My Mom. That reminds me of um
0: kittens inspired by kittens. Hi kittens. What is it? It's like you're my mom. No. Or I'm her mom. No, she, no she's not.
1: So good. If you haven't watched that YouTube video, guys. It's gold, real, live, not real, but, but metaphorical gold. Okay. Hello. I love listening to your podcast. My coworker was telling me about it all the time. So I had to listen for myself and now I cannot stop. I have a few ghost stories of my own to share and here it goes. My family lives in Colorado in an old farmhouse. It was the first house on the land. So it's pretty old. And one day my sister and I were home alone talking in the living room that is directly under my sister's bedroom. We were talking about the weird feelings we got in the house when all of a sudden we heard loud footsteps and the sound of furniture moving in her room and then her bedroom door slammed shut. We both just sat there frozen with fear. My family is very religious and my sister keeps her Bible and holy water on her nightstand. And once I gained the courage to go upstairs, I saw her Bible and holy water in the hallway placed outside of her door. I grabbed them and we left until my parents came home. We still to this day continue to hear bangs and footsteps from her room. One other time, I thought my mom was home doing stuff in her room because I saw her car in the driveway and heard movement in her bedroom. So I was yelling mom because I wanted to ask her a question but was too lazy to leave the couch and I got annoyed that she wasn't responding to me. So I got up, went to her room, I opened the door and I saw her taking a nap, which she does often because she works overnights. And I didn't think twice about it and I went up to shake her awake. As I was walking up to her bed... I quickly remembered that she had left with my dad to go grocery shopping earlier, and I was home alone. So this person that I was currently approaching in my parents' bed was definitely not my mom. My stomach dropped, and I ran out of the house barefoot to my neighbor's house until someone came home. And then I slept with my sister for a while after that happened. I have plenty of other stories to share, but... That would probably make it a novel. So I'll save those for later. Thanks for making such an awesome podcast. Stay spooky, Kinsey.
0: That is so terrifying. Because although we know now that more likely than not, it was paranormal because there were other things already happening Mm -hmm. in the house. To walk in and see something or someone and realize that it's not who it's supposed to be. That person is not supposed to be in the house. And not only that, but you're alone. You can't just like run into the other room and grab onto your friend or yeah. family member and be like, oh my God, come with me. You're alone. You're running down the stairs and you feel something at your back. Like, oh. But it was also like laying in the bed as if it
1: was her mom, which just yes. feels, I mean, oh, I really unsettling because Kinsey was approaching her. She was about to shake her mom awake. And thank goodness in that moment, she realized her mom was not actually there because what would have happened? Yeah. I don't want to know.
0: I don't want to know either. It's so freaky. We talk a lot about, you know, demonic entities or or something mimicking someone that you know to get you closer. But also, what if this was a little wrinkle in time? What if this Mm. was a glitch in the matrix? I mean,
1: I'd prefer that, but I don't know. There is something amiss, something afoot in this house because the thing in Kinsey's sister's bedroom removed... The Bible and holy water. And yeah, you're right. And put it you're right. outside of the bedroom door and slammed the door shut. Blech.
0: Like, that is very, very ominous. You know what's freaky, too, is that those are the items that you're told are going to help protect you. Mm-hmm. And for something to just, with such ease, touch them, move them, interact with those items, yeah. it makes them feel... No, <gasps> like it won't help. Oh you. my
1: gosh. It's just fake. Have I ever told you the story that one of my coworkers from Warner Brothers experienced where he was no. living in an apartment by himself and he started having like ghostly experiences and I'll have to have him email me the story because it is like, I need to read it. It is so crazy and he has photos to go along with it but basically the spirit there were lots of things that happened but at one point it escalated to the point where it was like throwing the bible across, like out of the house like from mm. the banister like on the stairway throwing it down to the living room and then like moving it towards the door to try to like get it out of the house and then the photo that he has is he came home from work one day and he lives alone and he came home from work one day to find the bible by the door and like lines of socks As if someone like, what, and it's so ominous. And so I just got chills thinking about it. I have to, uh, I'm going to email him right after this. Wait, lines of socks. Like a trail of socks leading towards the door. My God. Like a really weird, which like almost feels like footprints in a way, you know? That is so creepy. And it wasn't like,
0: oh, they're all bunched together. It was like one sock, two steps, one sock, two steps. It's creepy. It's like breadcrumbs trying to maybe lure someone towards something because it's, It's not just prints. It's like physical items that you need. Yeah. That you have to go bend down and collect and become a bit vulnerable. And he also had come like went up to his bedroom
1: once and like the entire dresser had been all the drawers had been pulled out and everything had been pulled out of the dressers.
0: It was pretty gnarly. It makes me wonder too. Now that we're talking about it, we always talk about the Bible. Like, I feel like so many stories are like, oh, the Bible was moved, the Bible this. But what about, I wonder if there's a, other religious texts, if it's just like your belief system, whatever you believe mm-hmm. is what is kind of like attacked to make you more vulnerable. Like if someone right. has the Book of Mormon or, I don't know, like the Quran or the Bhagavad Gita, are they going to also be moved and tampered with? Or is right. there something specific with the energy that the bible and christianity have against certain entities yeah i wonder yeah it's just making you feel unsafe yes creepy creepy i don't like that i don't like when they do that me neither okay well i have a story these are two separate emails from one person so i'm going to read both of them because they're rather short so Perfect. perfect i'll loop them together hi ghostesses my name is Lexi, and i love your podcast A little backstory on my grandma's dad, who passed away from the flu when she was in high school. He was a World War II hero, and I've seen his picture and read some love letters that he sent to my great-grandma during that time when they were dating, so I feel like I know him pretty well. So now the story. My sister and her husband went to go visit our family in Nebraska during the 4th of July because that town does a lot of celebrations during that weekend, and my brother-in-law is from Tennessee, where we live. One night, when they were sleeping, my brother-in-law rolled over to face the door and saw a man standing in the doorway. He thought that it was my grandpa who was asleep in the other room at the time, but the man eventually walked away and my brother-in-law just went back to sleep. When he told me this story, my first thought was that it was a dark spirit that lives in my grandma's house, but he said that he wasn't afraid of it. And in that moment, I was sure that he must have seen my great grandpa, making sure that my sister was okay and that the man she chose was good. Oh. All right. And then her other email. My grandmother lives in the middle of nowhere, Nebraska, where I was born. And she lives in the country. And not half a mile down the road, there's a cemetery and there's a lot of activity that goes on there. But here's the creepiest one. My grandmother had a doll picture the movie Annabelle doll. Oh gosh. (laughs) That's terrifying. (laughs) Yeah. That she got from her dad as a child. And when I was around eight, she decided to take it out of her closet and put it in the living room for us to see. <laughs> <laughs> I mean,
1: to be fair, that's a very normal doll that a lot of people had. You included.
0: Oh, the rag. Yeah, I guess yeah. like the actual, actual Annabelle doll. Yeah. Is Raggedy Ann. But in the movie, the Annabelle doll was very, very creepy. That's true. Even creepier than an oversized giant Raggedy doll. <laughs> I've always been a little sensitive to energies and spirits. And I always got such a bad vibe from that doll. This was in the early, early 2000s and movies like Annabelle hadn't even come out yet. So I had no reason to be afraid of this doll, but it terrified me. Oh my gosh. And I'd never had sleep paralysis before, but the first time I stayed over at her house and she put that doll out, that was my first experience with sleep paralysis. And basically what I saw was a dark figure standing over my bed, choking me. And yeah. seeing my grandma's doll in the other room turn its head no. and look at me. <gasps> the next morning, I didn't say anything because my grandma thought the doll looked like her. And I didn't want to be rude. No. <laughs> but when my mom picked me up, I told her that I didn't want to stay at that house anymore until she put that doll back up. And of course, I did anyway because she was my grandma and I love her. But over time, the doll did get creepier and it started to turn black. Its fingers oh. turned. Falling off. What? And one of its eyes popped out. <gasps> my other grandma lived a few miles away, and so I always made up an excuse to go stay at her house <laughs> instead after that until my grandma eventually did put it away because it was weathering too badly. But I firmly believe that something else was attached to the doll And I could not be more grateful that it's not in my life anymore. (laughs) The rest of her ghosts are friendly and playful, but that's another story. Thank you, girls, for the awesome podcast, Lexi. I'm sorry. That doll was rotting. Which is not normal. No. That's unusual. That's very unusual. And I've never been to Nebraska, but I don't think the atmosphere and the humidity and the general pressure and what's in the air... Can crumple dolls like that. No. It was like blackening. Yes. And its fingers were falling. Like off. It, it
1: it almost makes me think that there was like a weird dark entity in it. And that because it wasn't getting stimulated, it was starting to rot and decay and mm-hmm. like lose its power and just like
0: leaking through the doll. Yeah, so gross. Which only would give it more attention, which is probably why it kept going. Ah, don't. Like it no, and I'm shocked that it was even held on to for that long too. Because yeah, you know, if something's getting damaged, I don't know. But but she did say her grandma thought it looked like her, so she probably felt a bit attached to it. Yeah, in a way, wow, well. creepy. But I I wonder if this is because she said her two grandmothers lived very close together, and the first story was about this man, her great grandfather. She thinks going mm-hmm. in and checking in on her sister and brother-in-law at her grandma's house. So I wonder if it's this house or if both of her grandmas both have walked right. in
1: I mean, if, if that's the case, it definitely runs in her family. Right, yeah, I know. Very, but um, kind of sweet to have, you know, feel like it's just a, a past relative coming to see your significant other and be like,
0: I approve. Yeah, just checking in, making sure everything's good, that you're happy, you're healthy, you're safe. Yeah. Wanting to get a little sneak peek while while the guy's visiting. Okay.
1: Eek, I'm excited about this one. Okay. This is from Kayla and it's called Rolling Hills Asylum Experience. And then what? in all caps, she was like, please read on encounters. Exclamation point, exclamation point, exclamation point. <laughs> my life face. Hello, fellow cat mom and Bigfoot's best friend. Hello. But I'm gonna put an asterisk next to that girlfriend. Girlfriend. My name is Kayla, and I learned all about your podcast from my best friend Mary. I've listened for a while and I love every episode, so during quarantine, I decided to start from the very beginning and binge again. I'm now on episode 8, where Corinne is talking about Rolling Hills Asylum in Bethany, New York. Well, 6 or 7 years ago, I went. Sorry for the long email, but this place is packed with energy and spirit of all kind. I am originally from Buffalo, New York and now live in New Fay New York, a town off of Lake Ontario. And when I was in high school, my freshman or sophomore year, me, my mom, her best friend, and my childhood best friend at the time decided to go on a tour of Rolling Hills Asylum. We've never done any ghost hunting prior to this, but I had grown up watching our Lord and Savior Zach Bagans with my mom since I was little. We've always been into the paranormal, and we've both had our fair share of scary, peaceful, and shocking paranormal experiences. I've recently learned that spiritual gifts run on both my dad's side of the family as my dad's side is mostly Native American and my mom's side of the family, and I was one of the lucky ones. I've been learning more about my abilities, and with the help of a medium, it was confirmed that myself, as well as a cousin on my mom's side, and my best friend Mary hold these gifts. We had a psychic party on Black Friday this year, and the medium told us to continue ghost hunting and to continue going to places and taking tours or doing our own to help solidify our abilities and experiences. But enough about me. Let's get to the experiences at Rolling Hills Asylum. The first quote-unquote tour we went on was a dud. And I say this now because my mom didn't realize at the time that we had bought tickets for a benefit called Music with the Ghosts or something along those lines. We showed up late because I was always running late when I was a teenager because I had no concept of time. And we found a bunch of people outside of the asylum and it was all lit up and everyone was dressed in suits and ties and it was so weird to see at an abandoned asylum. The man outside explained to us that they weren't doing an open tour and we bought tickets for the wrong day. But fast forward to a few weeks later and my mom purchased tickets for us to go on an actual tour, LOL. But of course, we showed up a little late that day too because again, like I said, my concept of time as a teenager sucked horribly. They're pretty strict about the being on time rule and they don't usually accept latecomers, but we knocked on the door and someone answered and let us in after explaining our mishap with the tickets to the event prior. But we were able to join, thank God. And we entered at the very, very end of the history tour. We learned about a nurse on one of the top floors that hated men, and one of the men in our tour group at that exact moment expressed the feeling of someone watching him and got a little pinch in the arm at the same time. After we toured this room, they showed us Roy's room, and they explained to us that they call Roy their gentle giant. You guys hit the nail on the head while explaining him. He's a spirit in the asylum that is furthest from malevolent. They explained to us that he loves to read books, so they put a massive library in his room and a big chair next to the shelves for him to sit and read. I sat sat in his chair next to the bookshelves and felt someone put their hand on my shoulder as if they were looking over me. They say that this was most likely Roy because he was the protector of the asylum and he always enjoys company. After the history tour, they let us break off into our own groups and do some exploring on our own. At the time, I was between the ages of 14 and 16, and they have history tours, self-tours for about three hours. If you're 18 and up, you can do an overnight stay, which is something I still want to do so bad. After exploring Roy's room and the pleasant experience I had with him, we went into the classroom, and this was the room where all the younger children would learn and attend school. It was the creepiest thing I've ever felt, or one of the more creepier, I should say, There was a random wheelchair in the room, and my mom decided she wanted to sit in it. So her friend took her phone out and took pictures of my mom sitting in the wheelchair. And the moment my mom's friend took the photo, her phone went from 100% full battery to dead. This happened about four times in the classroom. Anytime her friend tried to take a picture, her phone died. Whenever she left the room, she was able to turn it back on, and it was at full battery just like it was before. Whatever was in that room didn't want her to take pictures and did not like her phone. Fortunately, I was able to snap a picture of my mom sitting in the wheelchair with no problems. And when I looked back at the picture, my mom was surrounded with orbs and lights. Like it looked like it was snowing in the room, but just around my mom and my mom only. After that experience, we left the classroom. And when we exited the classroom, we were trying to figure out which room we wanted to go in next. When we caught up with an actual paranormal investigator that was there doing his own tour with his daughter and her boyfriend linked up with their group because they had an EVP recorder and much better flashlights than we did. Quick note, you may think this place would be terrifying to go to, but every single person in our group felt 100% at peace and didn't feel frightened at all. Until the basement and boiler room. Hmm. So the man, his daughter, and boyfriend took us down to the morgue to talk to the man that they called the man in the suit or suit man. There's a suit that hangs over the embalming table that I believe belonged to someone who used to live there. I could be wrong and we asked questions in the morgue and the suit would turn to answer our questions right for yes left for no one of the questions asked was if the man recognized anybody in the group assuming it would turn to the investigator because he had been there before out of everyone in the group but the suit turned slowly to a girl that had just joined our group from another group the investigator asked if she had been there before and she said she hadn't she said the weekend prior her mom went on a tour And she and her mom looked very much alike, so she assumed the spirit was remembering talking to her mother. Any question after that, the investigator asked. The suit answered and turned towards the other girl whose mom was there a week prior. When we were done with the morgue, the investigator took us to... Shadow Hallway. And guys, it wasn't scary. It was mentioned in episode 9 that you guys thought it would be really, really scary because shadow people are their own entities. Well, on this tour, I learned that that's not always the case. Shadow people can be actual spirits. And there's sometimes spirits that can only muster up enough energy to show themselves in shadow form, and that's it. So this hallway wasn't filled with shadow people, it was filled with spirits that were stuck there still doing their job. When the asylum was up and running, shadow hallway was the corridor that connected to the nurse's station. So the shadows that are shown in the hallway are residual energy left from those nurses and staff that are walking to and from their destination in the hospital. It was the coolest thing I've experienced thus far. When we got to the end of the hallway, the investigator counted to three and told us all to shut off our flashlights at the same time. The moment our eyes adjusted to the dark, you could see them. All of them. You could see (gasps) the nurses, the doctors, the staff. Walking from right to left, left to right. Some stopped and seemed to talk to others. Some just kept walking as if they were in a rush to give a patient their medicine. They were still working, doing their jobs, even in the afterlife. It was crazy.
0: Oh my God, I want to go. I never (laughs) thought I'd
1: say that. I want to go. It does sound really cool. After the fun with Shadow Hallway, we went to the basement and the boiler room. The basement held the solitary confinement cells. And I'll save that story for last. But we went into the boiler room and the investigator was explaining to us that there was a little boy in the boiler room that they liked to contact and play with. They aren't sure if he died when he was younger or if he died when he was older but then returned to his younger years as a spirit because that was the happiest time in his life. Who knows? But we set up two flashlights in the boiler room, one at each end. The investigator introduced himself and explained that he was back to play and visit and he brought some friends, our group of four, to come and play and talk as well. The little boy wasted no time running back and forth between us to turn on and off the flashlights the investigator placed down. I was sitting in a chair in front of one of the flashlights, and every time it turned on or off, I felt electricity. After a short time of running back and forth as fast as he could to manipulate these flashlights and communicate with us, things started to get thrown. We still aren't sure if he got bored with the flashlight game and decided to have some fun of his own, or if another spirit took his place to tell us that he was unhappy— There was a dark room in the back of the boiler room, and it was filled with pebbles and stones. When we couldn't get the little boy to manipulate the flashlights anymore, a pebble was thrown at the wall in the back of this room. After we acknowledged we heard him throw the pebble, still unsure if it was him or another spirit, we heard a much larger rock being thrown, and this one landed in the room we were sitting in. We took it as a sign to leave. Finally, the solitary confinement rooms. These rooms were where I felt the energy the most, and it was not a good energy. They held patients in these rooms that were thought to be violent or deemed it wasn't safe for them to be in the regular rooms upstairs for whatever reason. As you know, not everyone housed in this hospital needed to be there, so the odds of someone being thrown in essentially a black hole for not very good reasons are pretty strong. We went into the room that was in the very back corner, the last room there was. It was decrepit, The walls were caving in on themselves. There was absolutely no light whatsoever and only one window, if any. And it was high up on the wall where the wall meets the ceiling. And it was tiny. I think the window was even on ground level, so you can imagine that there's not much natural light coming through it either. The floor wasn't even a floor anymore. It was just a mound of dirt and it smelled raunchy and rancid, like mold and must. We decided to do a burst session in the room and not stay very long because none of us, including the investigator, had a good feeling about being in there. We asked a bunch of random questions, you know, like, is anyone here with us? Or anyone would like to make themselves known? What's your name? Why did they put you down here? And a few others. After a few minutes of complete silence and hearing nothing with our ears or seeing anything with our eyes, we decided to play the recording back in the room. And this is where it gets crazy. When we played back the recording, we could hear our questions and the things we were asking the spirits, And after one of our questions, the audio cut, and you could hear this low, loud, guttural, raspy, growling voice that said, Get out! (laughs) Almost hissing at us when it said it. As soon as we heard that, we split. We ran upstairs as fast as we could, of course, not before thanking the spirit for allowing us in their space so that they didn't follow and attach to any of us. This was one of the very, very few demonic feelings or experiences I've ever had. And I only have had a handful of demonic experiences, thankfully, and I will never forget this one. As for seeing creatures crawling on the floor towards us, we didn't see any, thankfully. The shadow hallway is very real and not as sinister as it sounds. Roy is the kindest soul while living and while in the spirit world, and the staff and nurses are still working as if the hospital is open. I have so many more experiences, like the time I saw my grandpa in full shadow form, The time Mary and I saw a shapeshifter at a cemetery by my house. The time Zozo tried coming through to Mary and me out of a makeshift Ouija board that we made out of a pizza box. All the times when I was a child and my parents thought I was running around in the walk-in closet in my room, but it wasn't me. And so many more. But I'll save those for another time. I've attached a picture of my cat, Belle. Unfortunately, the picture of my mom in the wheelchair keeps disappearing from my photos. So if I find it, I'll post it in the Facebook group. See you on the other side, Kayla
0: my god this is reminding me a lot of the old jail in charleston oh my gosh you're right just because there's so much that's happening so when you when you go on a tour like each room essentially you have some sort of paranormal experience in which which it sounds like rolling hills is that way which we didn't know when we were covering it how active it was to visitors on tours i know also
1: that feels like so long ago that i I feel like I don't remember a ton of it. So it was nice to have the refresher.
0: <laughs> yeah. I, I am really curious. Well, number one, it sounds freaking cool to, <laughs> to suddenly turn off the lights or, or whatever they did and see everybody like bustling. Crin, you're through. a changed woman. I know. You know what? It's because I watched the movie Soul, and everything's mm, different now. I haven't seen it I'm yet. a different person. But it also kind of reminded me of Soul when she was discussing about how shadow people aren't always their own entity, it could be an actual spirit that's just not able to produce enough energy. And it reminded me of in Soul when they they find people who are kind of like in the grind and kind of like lost their purpose and lost their way and are just like too deep in. Did you watch Soul?
1: No, you're talking to me as if I have, but no, I haven't. Because
0: I've already watched it like three times. I thought everyone (laughs) (laughs) has.
1: I'll have to. Nick had seen it before it came out because one of our friends had
0: access to it. So I will have to watch it solo. It is... Let me just say this. Soul is not a movie that was made for children. It is a movie that was made entirely for adults. Oh, but I like that. Amazing. Okay. So, an adult Pixar movie. But it, it reminded me when she was talking about that. You'll know the scene when you see it. Okay. But, my gosh, so wild how much is happening there. And yeah. the flashlight game, too. Like, it just, it makes me wonder if... If these spirits are just so used to the guides there that they're like, oh, I get to play the game now. Or if like some days they're just like, oh, I'm over it. I don't feel like it. And there's no activity. And yeah, I'm so curious because it just truly feels alive. Mm -hmm. I'd be nervous to be that one woman who went and her mom had gone the week before and she kept being targeted and like picked out when they were in the basement. Like I know you, which makes me think
1: way more than just like her mom was there last week,
0: you know? Yeah, it does feel... A little. It's almost like I don't trust that the girl wasn't there. I know that I should trust her over the spirit. (laughs) (laughs) But just the fact that the spirit or spirits or entity was so active. I was thinking, though, like, what if they have some connection
1: or her in a past life had been in that in Rolling Hills Asylum? So, like, they know each other more, even more than that.
0: Maybe. Wow. Yeah, I didn't even think of that. I was thinking something, like, dark within the current life, but... (laughs) <laughs> yeah wow i'm a changed woman sabrina i know you you would probably want to go yeah i'd be down wow so excited corinne road trip this is
1: a shift for 2021
0: new year and uh, we're gonna explore some odd places now. love it excited okay oh this picture is so creepy all right i have one. Oh, no this is this is from our listener ray Anon. it's called cryptids are real i've seen it look in and just look at the photo really quick i'll see it <gasps> oh he- oh Oh Sorry, my. I shouldn't have told you to do Holy it. Shit. I just wanted you to see it. It's on It's on the internet. It's for anyone who's, I don't know what to search on the internet, but oh. it's essentially, it looks like this kind of alien humanoid figure that's crouched down in some brush and its eyes are super large and glowing. We can post it on Instagram. We definitely should. Oh my god. Yeah, gosh. and it looks like it was taken on some sort of like hunting cam, outdoor cam. It's It's black and white, like night vision sort of thing. Very, very creepy. I hate it. And she's attached a photo of this. So, Hey ladies, this story is one I've debated to send to you for a long time. The issue lies with the fact that I hate remembering it. Oh gosh. A fresh fear sinks in every time I retell the story, but as a lover of all things paranormal, I often find myself sitting at home watching videos on Nuke's Top 5. You might recognize this photo from one of his videos. It's pretty viral. And- As are several of the videos of this creature. But I'm here to tell you that this thing is real. Oh no. Whatever it is. I've seen it. So I'll dive in. Here's the story. And I'll try to tell it in a way that expresses my emotions throughout the encounter as I think that bit is particularly important to get this across. My friend and I were driving late one night on a back road somewhere in my hometown. Supposedly, there was a bridge referred to as Crybaby Bridge. However, if you look up those words on the internet, you can find one in just about every state. Mm-hmm. So I'm pretty sure there is one that's supposed to be like the one, but this was just one of them close to us and it was accessible. And so we went. As fearless 19-year-old kids, Brooke and I drove around the Kirby back roads, forest on either side of us for miles, and nothing but pitch black darkness surrounding us. Everything was black except for the faint glow of my shitty little S10 truck's lights, And as we arrived at the bridge, we read the instructions that were posted online. Number one, roll down your windows. Number two, turn off your engine. Number three, turn off your lights. Now sit and wait and hear the baby crying or a woman howling. And so we wait maybe a minute when Brooke grabs my arm and tells me that she's heard something. Mm. I hadn't heard anything, but most of the time I'm terrified and I somehow managed to zone out. I always thought about haunted houses and the way the actors probably hated me since I never react, and I always wished that I could, but something in my mind just shuts it all down. That, however, was about to change for me. I was about to experience raw, unadulterated fear for the first time in my life. Oh my gosh. I agreed with Brooke that we could go, and laughed a little bit thinking that she was just freaking out for nothing. I lit up a smoke and kept my windows all the way down as she feverishly began rolling hers back up. They were crank windows, like I said, it was a shitty little S10 truck. I flipped my headlights on, and as we exited the short tunnel, I could see that there were quite a few deer standing on the road. At the sight of my car, they immediately began to disperse. I imagined that they hadn't any clue that I was there since we had just been sitting with our engine and lights off inside of the tunnel. It took me about half a second before I realized what I was looking at, and Brooke leaned forward in her seat, trying to comprehend the sight as well. There, stretched across the road amongst the deer, was a long, skinny, pale, gray, humanoid-like creature. Mm. It was hairless, its head whipped towards us, looking at my truck, almost as if it were surprised, just like the deer were. Its eyes were huge, round, reflected bright white off of the lights of the truck. The creature must have been eight, ten feet long as it stretched across the two-lane road in front of us. Oh, To escape, it outstretched the arm closest to us, the skin between its elbow and the side attached like a webbed animal or even a wing. And this moment is when my mind is in slow and fast motion at the same time. I quickly whipped my head as the creature zipped across the ground, its body staying low, almost touching the ground the whole time as it shot (gasps) off of the road, up the embankment and into the woods. I immediately hit the gas, and Brooke is just sitting there, her mouth hanging open, and that numbness that I usually feel when I'm afraid was cured because I was petrified. (laughs) Instantly, I was sobbing. What was that? I screamed at Brooke, needing an answer. I don't know. I don't know, she said, almost in a whisper. Is it following us? I was wailing at this point. I've never and will never probably feel that type of fear that I felt in that moment. I desperately wanted to fly at 100 miles an hour out of there, but the back roads were curvy, and as I said before, it was extremely dark. I don't want to look, Brooke said, (laughs) I volume picking up. I think it was starting to sink in. Look in the mirror. Is it following us? Brooke shook her head at me. I don't want to look, she said. (laughs) I closed my lips tight, and I flew as fast as I could through the back roads until I made it to the highway. From there, I drove two hours nonstop out of my hometown and back to our apartments in Cincinnati. I knew the only thing that would comfort me was the bright lights from a major city. No one believes me when I tell them this story. I truly believe the thought of something like this existing is a terrifying concept and they're just not ready to accept it. I hardly am. I just cannot deny what I had seen that night. So there you have it. Cryptids are real. They live amongst us in the woods, beyond the bright lights of the city, outside of our cars, our tents, our bedroom windows. It's a thought that truly disturbs me. I even live with the fear that it might find me one day. Perhaps the only reason that it didn't that night is because we drove so far away. Anyway, it's a long story and in my opinion, a terrifying one. If only you can actually wrap your mind around the fact that whatever it is, isn't a myth, that it exists. And there is no doubt, not for me. I cannot see those videos and think that's not real anymore to comfort myself because I've seen it. Anyway, keep up the good work, ladies. If you needed a scary story, here you go. LOL, stay spooky and see you on the other side, Rhiannon. The
1: way that she described it, crawling and like low to the ground.
0: It was, it took up two lane. It was outstretched on a two lane road. So for it to be so low to the ground and so long and skinny and lanky, it must have been so disturbing to watch. Not only because it's something that you've never seen before and you're terrified of it, but also it's just a disturbing motion. That's a very, very disturbing motion. And I really need to know what was happening with the deer, because at first when I was reading it with the deer kind of surrounding this figure, I thought it was a dead alien and the deer were eating it. Oh, ooh. Suddenly they weren't vegetarians. They were eating this alien. But that's not true because the alien whipped its head and looked at them in the car and then obviously got up and ran away. So why were the deer surrounding this thing laying down on the ground? Maybe they use
1: deer. I don't know. Maybe there's like a relationship between it and deer. I don't know.
0: I don't know either. Ugh, I think what really irks me about this encounter that Rhiannon had too is if she's right. Now when she watches those movies, those videos, reads those articles, it doesn't matter if it's about this cryptid or another. She's seen this one. She knows yeah. it's not a myth. And so now in the back of her mind, everything that's ever presented, she's no longer going to be able to say, But well, that's crazy. Someone just dreamt that up.
1: Right. Or, oh, it's just a movie. It's not real. Right. Because uh. it it must
0: have come from somewhere.
1: I mean, that's how I feel about, like, poltergeist movies and ghost movies and anything demonic. Because it feels like, sure, it's a movie. Mm-hmm. And some things are, I'm sure, dramatized. But, like, it feels so possible.
0: Yeah. Ugh. Ugh. oh Creepy. All right, we'll definitely post that image on our Instagram. And if we don't, you guys can remind us, too. Yeah. Because I feel like sometimes we forget. But we'll try to remember. I might want a warning for that one because it's scary. We should. Let's do a little like warning. Hey, slide at your own risk. This thing is creepy. Because I usually follow along
1: in emails when you read them because I need visual aids. But I couldn't in that one because the picture was like in the middle of the email.
0: Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) The only I think I would have been way more freaked out by the image had I not already seen it. I think I watch the same sort of YouTube videos Rhiannon does. So. Oh, I don't like it. It's so unsettling.
1: Very, very creepy. Okay, this is from Holly. And it's called I Worked at a Haunted House. Hello, ghoul friends. My name's Holly, and I've been obsessed with the paranormal since I was a little girl. My house growing up had two ghosts one was my friend, the other was not. I actually believe he possessed my father, but that's a story for another time.
0: Uh, <laughs> Holly, need to know. What? One unfriendly ghost, possible possession. I'll tell you another time. <laughs> Holly, I, you know,
1: I've told you and I've told our listeners before, my father very likely is is and maybe still is possessed or was and maybe still is possessed. <laughs> so I am glad to know that I'm not the only one whose father was and maybe yeah. is still possessed. Need to know. Okay. He says, this email is about the Halloween haunted house that I was a part of in middle school and high school. The place was shady as hell without the ghosts. For example... One of the owners that joined my last year was a creep in his 30s who hit on all of us high school girls. The original owner was a cop who got all the building safety measures approved when the building should definitely have been demolished way before we even moved the attraction into it. I would climb some wood pallets as part of my act and could touch the ceiling and it was soft. The ceiling was soft. It shouldn't have been soft, but it was. But if that wasn't enough, the joint was seriously haunted with real ghosts I suppose it's a good time to mention that I'm sensitive to spirits and I also attract them. And this matters later on. There were three ghosts that I personally encountered or saw the after effects of. This would be the Tiki Man, Brown Shadow, and the Dust. Tiki Man was kind of playful and we have no idea why he was there. This was in West Virginia, so I don't know. He usually just peeked around corners and ran away from us. But this one guy he got really brave with and he would run around his legs. I saw him in the aforementioned pallet setup, which was basically a wooden crawl tunnel. He would look through the slats at me, and I'd say something to him like, fuck off, it's my turn to scare people, and he'd just walk away. So not traumatizing at all. But this next guy was definitely malevolent and just not good news at all. He was like the shadow man and the hat man mixed together, but his form was a little weird. His shadow was brown instead of gray or black like shadows usually are. And luckily, I never met him face to shadow face, but my mother did. She was helping build sets and walked into the x-ray room and walked right into him. He was huge, maybe seven feet tall and exuded awful, evil energy. She stared at him in horror for a minute until her friend came up behind her and he quickly turned the corner and disappeared. She called for me and told me to be careful in that area. And I've only ever seen my mom that scared once before in my life. But of course, they had me in that room for three weekends once the season started, and I thought I glimpsed him watching me a few times, but I kept but I kept sage in my pockets, and I'm notorious for bitching at ghosts, so I think he knew he had to find an easier target. LOL. We had investigators come in, and they said he's a borderline demon, but more like spirit set on tormenting other spirits and people. There was a female ghost who he specifically liked to torture as they contacted her. Nobody close to me nor myself met her, but I hope that she's able to escape this shadow man and be at peace. The final ghost was not my favorite, but I guess I was their favorite. It was just a dusty little form that liked to follow me around while I tried to construct sets and props. I never saw it, but literally everyone would tell me that there's this little shadow over my shoulder, which I could feel, but it would disappear the second I tried to catch it. So again, that was a more fun, playful spirit than the others. I know this is... A long email, but I could have gone even longer. I'll definitely send more later. So keep doing your thing. See you on the other side, Holly. That one
0: male spirit or entity or shadow figure or whatever is very creepy, obviously. And it sounds like it's tormenting the other spirits
1: in the home as well. And the way that the investigators described it as not quite demonic, but more an evil spirit that wants to torment people, it's like...
0: Can you not? And it sounds like it doesn't have any boundaries between who it torments, whether it be living or dead. It's just anything, anyone around this thing is a
1: target. And this is the thing that I've always wondered. I feel like anytime I hear about a haunted house, I'm like, I wonder if it's a haunted house that the people who are trying to scare people are being haunted by real ghosts. And the way that Holly explained that when she was like climbing the slats, the pallets, Mm -hmm. that this tiki man ghost would like peek through the slats. And I know that's not, she said it wasn't scary for her, but I'm sorry. The idea of little eyes peeping through the slats is horrifying to me.
0: Yeah. Oh gosh. I'm just, now I'm, I'm literally, my head's on a swivel and I'm like looking (laughs) at my dark windows, just like, oh God, I hope I don't see a pair of eyes peeking a face. Like it reminds me, it just makes, I don't know. I feel like this is a
1: common thing in horror movies, but when like people are walking down the stairs and like a hand reaches out and grabs the ankle or like Mm -hmm. cuts their Achilles, and I feel like there's something very similar in the eyes peering
0: out. Yeah, it's very, very disturbing because it's choosing to be seen and to make eye contact with you, which is such, such a direct line. It's almost an aggressive move, but not showing its full self, which is kind of scary because then it's, it's a little bit, st- it's still unknown. Yeah, not that even seeing a full-bodied apparition, like you don't, you don't know what's going on. It's scary. <laughs> it's still, just as scary. Yeah. Very creepy. A lot going on in that house. Many spirits to make contact with. Yeah, I'm glad that she had Sage in her pocket so that she could um handle mm-hmm. it very prepared. <laughs> All right. I have an email titled Ghosties from My Hometown featuring Al Capone. Ooh. Hi, Ghost gals. New listener here. Well, I hope she's still with us because this <laughs> is like two years ago. Found you guys recommended on Spotify earlier. Th- I think Spotify. Early this October and have been listening ever since. I started from your very first episode, but after about 20 episodes, I accepted that I was never going to catch up, so I just went ahead and skipped to October of 2019. (laughs) Oh, oh, this is such a compliment. She goes, Holy crap, y'all have gotten so much better. <laughs> thank you. Oh, wow. Thank you. I already enjoyed your early episodes, but your audio quality is how so much better. You've gotten a ton of sponsors, merch, Patreon, more listener emails yeah. to keep up with, and a team of moderators for your Facebook page. Also, even though you I don't know. talk about your personal lives a ton, totally fine, by the way, keep us spooky. But it sounds like you've both accomplished a lot in your lives since then. And I'm really proud of you and happy for you both. Keep up the good work. You've obviously done an amazing job before I even discovered you. That's so sweet. Linda, Um, virtual hugs. (laughs) (laughs) While I'm here, I wanted to share a couple spooky stories with you. I don't really have many ghost experiences myself, but many people that I know have. And I believe them. I'll be with a healthy amount of skepticism when applicable. My hometown of St. Charles, Illinois... I feel like I have relatives there. Sounds incredibly familiar, but like on a personal level. I might have relatives there. I think my grandma's from there. I'm not sure. I need to do some family research. My hometown of St. Charles, Illinois has some pretty neat ghost stories, especially since it has some fairly old buildings for a suburb of the United States anyhow. It's about 50 to 60 miles outside of Chicago, and it has a ton of tunnels and hidden basements and more historic buildings, which I hear were used for parts of the Underground Railroad. Later, in the Prohibition, these were used to smuggle alcohol, and many Chicagoans would come out to St. Charles in the 20s to drink. This included Al Capone, who frequented a speakeasy hidden in the woods that later became a steakhouse called Al Capone's Hideaway. It still got Tommy gun bullet holes in the walls, and it's said to be haunted by Al Capone. It closed a few years ago, unfortunately, and I'm not sure what happened to it now, but it's it's a really cool building. I don't remember the details of the haunting, but you can read a quick blurb about it here. And then she pasted a, a book that has the story in it. That sounds so fascinating. Yes. Another famous St. Charles haunting is the Hotel Baker. It's gorgeous, 1920s-style small hotel right by the riverside in downtown St. Charles. It's said to have several hauntings, and I won't name all of them here, but one of them is that... If you stay in this luxurious penthouse, you could hear the ghost of an old disabled woman who died there wheeling around on the rooftop patio above you. A friend of mine used Mm -hmm. to work at the Hotel Baker, and she had mysterious stuff happen to her all the time. One time, she was working alone at the front desk, and she went into a small closet to get something, and she felt something tug on her hair and say something. She turned around, and not only was no one there— but there wasn't even room for another person to be behind her. Oh. Anyhow, there are a ton of Margot stories from Hotel Baker and the other old buildings in my hometown, but I'll save those for an- another time. Stay spooky and see you on the other side, Linda. That place sounds so fascinating. Very spooky. So many hauntings. And Al Capone just comes with a lot of uh, energy and people in his, his posse that could be adding to the hauntings. Yeah. And I love that Linda herself... Did not experience much paranormal activity in her life, but is surrounded by people who do and encourages them to tell their story. And she listens mm-hmm. to them and believes them. And I love that Linda complimented them. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's that
1: too. That was nice. No, but that's the best. You have to just let people tell their stories
0: and believe them. And it's their truth. And celebrate your own hometown's hauntings, you know? Like, you yeah. live there. You contribute to the energy and the space and the reputation of it. And just because it's haunted, it doesn't mean that it has to be a negative thing. It can be exciting. It can be celebrated. Yeah. It can be historic. And just another part of your town and, and you and your life. That makes it more special. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. This
1: is my last story. And it's from Monica. And, okay. Eek. Okay, I'm excited about it. Okay. Because <laughs> the subject line is Taco Bell ghosts. Ooh. And a spooky law school class, but like was definitely drawn to it because of Taco Bell. Because I don't know, I'm hungry, but also Taco Bell is my favorite. You quiero Taco Bell. Uh, okay. Fair warning. This is going to be the nerdiest email you two have ever received. Here <laughs> for it. Yeah, always. So I'm an avid listener of the podcast, and weirdly enough, the day I got into Loyola Law School was the day that I listened to one of your episodes where you mentioned you both went to LMU. Thanks to any alumni spirits who hooked it up. LOL. (laughs) I've had some spooky encounters, but these two stories are just kind of funny. So there's an old cemetery by the Taco Bell in my hometown that's been a resting place for people since 1855 and was being upturned for an apartment development. One night... I went to the drive-thru and saw the construction, so I said to the cashier, literally, who would want to live there? That's going to be haunted as hell. And the lady started laughing and told me how there's been some spooky shit happening at the Taco Bell since the construction started. There were people in Victorian clothes walking through the window at night. There was tons of laughter and old-timey songs coming from the empty cemetery and voices coming through the ordering microphone when the place was empty. Seems like these spirits aren't mad, which is comforting, but I hope they can find rest or at least try the black bean crunch wrap, which seems just as good in my opinion. (laughs) Okay, next story is in my property law class. We looked at a case where a guy bought a haunted house. Backstory, Helen Ackley owned a haunted house in Nyack, New York. Fortunately, the ghosts were friendly and Ackley said they would leave people little gifts such as rings or coins and one ghost would shake her daughter's bed to wake her for school but was kind enough to let the girls sleep in during spring break. And another ghost even helped with the interior decorating by approving Ackley's choice of paint colors. The haunting was a matter of local legend, and the house was featured in a walking tour of the town's spooky spots, and actually publicized the ghost in the local newspaper and national magazine. In 1989, Ackley entered a contract to sell the house to Jeffrey Stambovsky, who had no idea about the local legend. So when he found out, he was so freaked and sued her for fraudulent misrepresentation and tried getting out of the sale. So the number one question judges had to decide was, does a seller have a duty to disclose ghosts? In most states, no. But if you're looking for a home in New York, New Jersey, Massachusetts, or Minnesota, you can get out of the sale if the home is haunted. The most famous line from the case was, as a matter of law, the house is haunted. Which kills me. Can you imagine hearing that in court? <laughs> he backed out of the sale, but tons more people wanted to buy her house anyway. One of the most famous people to own the house after this whole situation was Ingrid Michelson. No way. Who's that? Singer. Oh, wait, I need a look. You know her music. As soon as you hear it, you're, you know. Who she oh, is. okay. Well, going to listen after this. Anyway, Helen said she was going to take the ghosts with her wherever she went because she loved them so much. And there's been no reported activity since she moved out attached is a picture of the house and the new york post just reported that it's on the market again thank you both for making such an enjoyable podcast and i'll see you both on the other side monica
0: wait this house is so cute it's so cute wait now i want to look at the listing me too i'm gonna look can we buy it can we
1: buy it ooh. oh it's about to list for 1.9 million sorry oh damn it out of out
0: of our price range. i was going ooh when i saw the photos not at the price <laughs> The photos are beautiful. It's quite beautiful. I love the hardwood floors. My God. Oh my God. It
1: has a pool and like this beautiful
0: view of the lake. And you know, if you were a home buyer and you were walking in here because there's been a ton of renovations, it looks quite updated. You'd be like, mm-hmm. oh, what a dream home. And then you'd want to buy it. I want to buy right it. on the lake. Yeah. Although it sounds like it, it is disclosed that it's haunted.
1: But it sounds like the ghost went with the original owner because she loved them so much. Yeah.
0: I love that the ghost contributed to the paint color choices. And that is how you have a happy home. You know, you incorporate everyone who's a part of the household into the decisions. Great. Well, they always say that ghosts don't
1: like construction. So it's interesting also with the Taco Bell story. But like these ghosts were just like we're on
0: board. Let's just give you our opinion. Yeah, time for some changes. I've always hated Chartreuse and I really <laughs> want Dev White. I love it.
1: And the fact that I always oversleep through my alarm. So I would not mind a ghost being like, hey, time to wake up. And then when it's break or you don't have to go into work or on the weekends, like let me sleep in. Mm-hmm. That's amazing. Wait, remind me, did she live here when she was or is this just no. in
0: Monica's hometown? No, Monica studied this
1: At law school. Oh, 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 yes, a law case.
0: For a minute, I was like, damn, does she live in this house with this pool? This is nice.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Monica, why would you sell it? No. Okay, come on. No, she didn't.
0: Um, That's that's amazing, though. And I also really love the, the, the Taco Bell that's under construction. It has people in Victoria-era clothing just walking through the walls and playing music, just living their lives.
1: It's my favorite. I already love Taco Bell, but now I like it even more. It makes me
0: wonder, too, the relation between construction and spirits, because... You know, we so often hear that spirits, most of them don't take kindly to construction if they're spirits that are kind of tied to this one location, you know, mm-hmm. like they, they're bound somehow to this space. But the fact that the construction stirred up so much activity makes me wonder if maybe the construction is a trigger for releasing the spirits. You know, maybe they're they're mm-hmm. quiet and they are just there, I guess, inactive. And then when construction hits... Something opens up, the portals, the dimensions, there's some weakness there, and then they get to party in the Taco Bell. Right. Like it uprooted them.
1: I do hope that they are properly moving those bodies, though, because we've all seen Poltergeist.
0: Yeah. And yeah, half the episodes in this podcast are... (laughs) Yeah, that's true. ...improper removal of human remains. So... Yeah. Do it right. And get Taco Bell. Not sponsored. Not sponsored, but...
1: But if Taco Bell sponsored us, oh... Corinne, should we reach out to them? I mean, them? I want their special sauce. My mouth is watering. Mine too. I'm salivating. And my eyes might be crying. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that
0: sounds so good. A new goal. Taco Bell. <laughs> come on, please. Please. It's all I want for 2021. Can I put a request into In-N-Out then if we're doing this? <laughs> <gasps> oh my gosh. I want their sauce facts too. <laughs> I'm obviously there for the sauces because I've talked about sauce for both of them, but so good. So good. Okay. I have an email for us to end on. It's a little long one, so lean back, relax, and we're going to read an email by Rena. It's called, My sleepwalking or possessed husband and I may have accidentally made a cursed film. Greetings, esteemed ghostesses. I absolutely love the podcast. Thank you for so many hours of ghost stories. I'm Rena from Nashville, and I've been listening for about a year, and I finally got caught up during quarantine. Honestly, I've rewritten this email a few times now. This is a collection of stories that may or may not be connected. I'll let you decide. <laughs> because I really don't know. And I'm not entirely sure where to start. So I guess I'll just jump right in. After I profusely apologize for the length of this email and insist that you may trim it if you need. <laughs> 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 well, I'm not temerating at all. I met my husband almost 10 years ago. He's thoughtful, kind, and absolutely wonderful. But he sleepwalks. And it's not the kind of funny sort of sleepwalking. The very first time I saw him sleepwalking, was maybe about a year into our relationship. I woke up to him standing over me, paranormal activity style. He seemed really upset about something, and he usually has a very calm and gentle presence, but now he seemed indescribably angry. His body language had entirely shifted. He seemed taller somehow, and his stance was wider than usual, almost defensive. He started to take the blankets off the bed angrily. He ruffled through them like he was searching for something. What's going on? I asked him groggily. His response was a sort of half grunt and half growl. I can't find it. He threw the blankets down, and as I sat up in bed, he stomped off to the bathroom and slammed the door closed. But he didn't turn on the light. He had closed himself in darkness in a windowless bathroom. After some time, he returned, and I asked if he was okay. He muttered something to me, and at this time, it was incoherent, and he laid back down, and he was still. The next morning, I asked him what he had been looking for, and he looked at me, puzzled. He didn't remember any of it. I shrugged it off. He continued to have episodes of sleepwalking and sleep paralysis throughout our relationship, and we kind of just laugh about it. It's infrequent, so what else is there to do, really? Over time, I've noticed that his sleepwalking seems to be connected to certain places. We lived in three apartments in a row where he didn't sleepwalk once, but when our apartment in Hendersonville, Tennessee had a leak, we were put up in a model apartment while repairs were made. It was the second night in the apartment when my sleeping husband said something concerning. My husband was working early mornings then, so he would go to bed much earlier than me. One night, I stayed up pretty late trying to get some work done, and by that I mean I think there might have been a Jurassic Park marathon on. (laughs) We'd been there maybe a few nights at this point, and I'd gotten a bit more comfortable. I'd finally turned out the lights and headed to bed, and as I sat down on my side of the bed, my husband sat up and looked at me. I didn't realize that he was awake. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to wake you up, I said. And he looked at me, confused. He pointed to the foot of the bed. What are those things at the end of the bed looking for? He laid back down, rolled over, and was still. I was frozen, half Uh in the bed, staring at the darkness at the edge of the bed. I again asked him the next day, and he didn't remember me coming to bed. (laughs) Sometimes I still wonder what he could see at the end of the bed that night, and if they found what they were looking for. The place that he slept walked the most, though, was his mom's apartment. We lived in the always freezing cold second bedroom of the apartment for some time after I graduated from college and before we were engaged. One night, I was having trouble sleeping, which was pretty rare for me, and I was laying on my side with my husband sleeping soundly next to me. I was about to shift my position and lay on the other side, and as I lifted myself slightly to turn over, my husband shot up out of a dead sleep. In one motion, he threw his arms over me defensively like he was trying to shield me from something. He huddled over me, and he stared into the dark corner of the room next to the window. Are you okay? I asked, confused, and he didn't respond right away. He just was staring into that corner. I craned my neck to look out from beyond his arm to see what he was looking at, but I couldn't see it. But he was still staring into the corner, trying to block me from the gaze of whatever he could see in the shadows that I could not. What is it? And he finally stirred and answered me. It was looking at you. He finally let go and rolled over back onto his side and was still. I stayed awake, looking into the shadows. But that wasn't the scariest thing to happen in those apartments. In fact, the next story is one of the scariest and least unexplainable things that's ever happened to me. There was one night that I was having a nightmare. I don't have them often. I rarely even remember my dreams. But this one was detailed, and the dream spanned months. It was like I was watching a horror movie in my head while I slept. In the dream, we were being haunted. It started with a shadowy figure standing over us as we slept. Noises and voices would wake us up. At first... It would only happen at night, and then it would happen every night, and then it would happen in broad daylight. It was always hot, and after a series of escalating incidents, we came to the conclusion that we were being plagued by a demon in this dream, and it lived in our bedroom closet. I woke from the dream just as my dream self had been fighting off the creature in the closet. It was boiling hot, which was strange, because as I mentioned before, the room was always freezing cold, but now the air was thick and it was hot. I kicked the covers off, disoriented from the nightmare, and I turned over. My boyfriend, now husband, wasn't there. I looked around, trying to focus my eyes in the dark. He wasn't in bed because he was on the other side of the room, standing in the closet. The closet that I'd just been dreaming about. Is everything okay? I asked. There's something in the closet. No. He said. He was pulling things out of the closet, and I thought that he was sleepwalking at first, but at some point during all of this, he was awake. He was disoriented and his words were disjointed, but he told me that he also had had a nightmare. A nightmare in which a grotesque, hunched figure beckoned from the closet. It was so incredibly hot and we checked the thermostat in the living room, which was set to 68 degrees, but it was 95 degrees in the apartment that night in the middle of winter. We heard his mom awake in her room at the same time, but after all of that, we never asked her what woke her up. I think we were too scared of the answer. We didn't sleep the rest of the night. We were unsettled that we both had the same dream about the same closet. My husband instantly blamed a sleeping bag that had recently (laughs) been borrowed by a close friend and his girlfriend, who hated us. He wouldn't tell me what he thought that she had done to it before returning it, but he did put it back in the closet earlier that day. He put it out on the porch to air out the vibes after the joint nightmare and sleepwalking. I'm still not sure what happened that night, but I do believe something tried to come for us. I know this is getting long, and this next part is going to seem out of place, but it's all going to come together in the end, I promise. We now live in Nashville, Tennessee, and it's been a few years since the major incident, just the occasional creepy sleep talking. Our current apartment is about 100 years old. It's a house that's been divided up four ways. It was filthy when we moved in. It took us about a month to deep clean the apartment and patch holes where spiders were getting in, and most of the work took place late at night after we were home from work. Late one night, my husband was sealing up at the gaping holes in the hall closet that the eight-legged minions of the devil were crawling up through, and he found something creepier. The closet is extremely small, (laughs) roughly one and a half feet deep and two feet wide, not really big enough for a person to stand in. But in the interior molding, about halfway up from the floor, the word may was scrawled over and over and over again. It was obsessive, but scrawled in neat columns like organized chaos. It was creepy, unnerving. My husband immediately painted over it, not wanting it to stay there any longer. My husband's not very superstitious or easily spooked, so when things like this get to him, it always creeps me out a little bit more. I got him to hold off long enough to take one picture, which I will attach, Mm. and I did a little Googling, but I could never find anything that would explain the writing in the closet. And even years later, I still get a little creeped out when walking past it, and I never want the door to be left open for any reason. So, what does this indie film actress director do after years of creepy sleepwalking and talking from her husband, plus finding creepy writing in the closet? Well, I made a film about it. We shot it last fall in 2019 with an amazing local team, Mm -hmm. and despite filming in a house that's rumored to be haunted, which is a whole different story, production went well. I was kind of hoping to catch a ghost on camera or some paranormal activity in the four days that we filmed, but so far I haven't seen anything in the footage. About a week later, when I started hearing stories from the costume designer she told me that she started sleepwalking she insisted that something had followed her home from the shoot and she wouldn't give me any details at the time but whatever happened her daughter was so freaked out that she left to stay with friends for a week it was a few months after wrap before i was able to start the process of editing i had a couple other films directed by other people that i had to finish editing and honestly sometimes it's just really scary to finish a project I was stuck somewhere between my fear of it turning out terribly and my imposter syndrome from being a female director. I started editing a couple months ago, usually late at night after work, and I would stop at 2 or 3 in the morning and be exhausted. I would turn off the computer, I'd walk past the hall closet to go to bed, and as soon as I'd turn out the lights, I'd be filled with anxiety. I'd instantly feel like I was being watched, and I'd lay awake with the sheets pulled over my head, scared to open my eyes. I mentioned before that I don't usually have trouble sleeping. I'm the kind of person that as soon as my head hits the pillow, I'm out. This felt weird. It happened every night that I would edit. I took a break and started editing a different project for a while, and the anxiety stopped and I was able to sleep again. But I had to finish it. So I pressed on. I'm honestly a pretty skeptical person, and I found a lot of reasons to dismiss this anxiety. It was pretty easy considering it's 2020. I mean, it's like the year has been one big collective panic attack. But I started to see things out of the corner of my eye. It first started at work. Hashtag essential worker. I work the front desk of a company that's sent just about everyone else to work from home this year. So I'm alone there most of the time. I started thinking that I was seeing movement on the other side of my desk. I would instinctively look up and no one would be there. Sometimes I would feel like someone was standing to the side of my desk waiting to ask me something. I turn around ready to greet them. And again, no one was there. The lights have started going off and on by themselves. And the building maintenance still can't find a reason for it. I started to hear the sounds of shuffling papers of someone walking across the tile when, of course, I was alone. I finally got picture lock on my film, which meant it was time for my husband to start sound editing. And that's when things picked up in the apartment. It started with him being agitated after he would spend time working on the edit. He'd complain that he couldn't sleep. And when he would, he was having the worst nightmares. I started seeing things out of the corner of my eyes and in the apartment, and I kept thinking that my husband was walking into the room behind me only to turn around to find out that he wasn't there. We left for a few days to see our parents for the first time since quarantine started a few weeks ago, and we came back to standing water on the kitchen floor. As I made my way down the hall to get a towel from the bathroom, the smoke detectors started going off as I started walking past the closet. The closet was open. Two weeks ago, I found blood on the bathroom floor. I called my husband to ask him if he had a nosebleed or cut his foot, and he seemed confused. He said no. We checked our feet and our legs to see if somehow we cut ourselves without realizing it. We checked our very confused little cat to make sure she wasn't hurt, and the blood was wet. It hadn't even began to coagulate yet. In true murderino fashion, he and I started to check all over our tiny apartment, a heavy club-like flashlight in hand to make sure that some murderer hadn't broken in and accidentally cut themselves in the bathroom while laying in wait for us. But there wasn't anyone there. We still don't know exactly where it came from. We've gotten busy with other things over the last couple weeks, mainly just trying to stay sane because last week was election week. And I mean, who wasn't a nervous wreck for those four days? But for the last few nights, he's been editing the audio again. And yesterday (laughs) I was sitting in the office. There's only two people in there with me while everyone else is work from home. And it's an open floor plan so I can see everybody's desks from mine. My desk is in the front, so you can't come into the office without me knowing. The two guys in the office go to lunch around 12, leaving me alone. Geez, thanks, y'all. And after I'd been in there alone for a while, I saw the silhouette of a man walk past the window between their two (laughs) desks and disappear into a column. I turned, waiting to see who was going to come around the column, but no one ever did. And I thought about getting up to do a quick loop around the desks just to make sure that there was no one there, but I couldn't do it. It turns out my social anxiety extends to ghosts, too. I don't know if all of these events are connected or if my mind is just playing tricks. I just know that I have to finish Ooh. the edit, but I don't know if it'll make things worse. I don't really know if there's something that I've upset or if something has been there all along and now is when I can suddenly feel it. But I still hate walking past that bedroom closet at night. Stay spooky, Rena. There's so much to unpack.
1: I mm-hmm. it sounds like there's something that is following Rena's husband almost like But can only access him in certain places. And, like, maybe it's just, like, you know, we've talked recently about what the place is built upon. Like, is there certain energies Mm -hmm. or rocks or crystals or something that, like, allow it, it, act as a conduit for this entity. And that's why those places are the more active. But, like, my fear is what if making a movie about this closet and about her husband's sleepwalking and all the paranormal weird things that they've experienced is making it mad
0: making it mad or even just putting more attention and energy towards it is what is making it stronger
1: Mm, giving it power
0: or the fear that the entity has of it losing its tie to the husband should you know it become a little bit more popular and movie take off and someone be like yo you really need to you know have have someone come and cleanse you oh it's very creepy and the fact that other people on set started sleepwalking. Yeah. That the wardrobe woman, she and her her daughter was so freaked out by what her mother was doing that she, like, straight up left. I really want to see this movie, but, like, I'm now afraid as well. But maybe, oh, I was just going to say, go edit in a coffee shop or something, but you can't because it's where you're in a pandemic. Like, you have to you have to stay in a yeah. haunted house.
1: Uh, okay, so I feel like, Rana, you have to finish this movie, but... It might be helpful to sage or do some type of cleanse or, I don't know, maybe get some professional help to come bless your house and then try
0: editing again. I don't know. Yeah, I think that sounds good. That sounds solid. I'm so curious. The blood is really freaking me out. And then the name repeated over and over written on the ceiling in that tiny, tiny little crawl space. I know, which the photo is not
1: attached, so we have to ask for that because I want to see it. Yeah, I don't. I'm scared. <laughs>
0: I'll look at it. It makes me, this is such a disturbing thought, but it kind of makes me think that whatever, whoever was up there was driven to insanity or just was in a horrible situation of neglect or, or something. And perhaps whoever was there is still there, maybe still writes the name over and over in spirit form and also is responsible for the blood nearby. Right. It's all just so creepy. But that is what we like. We do like that. We like creepy and beautiful and strange and disturbing stories. So send them to us, please, all of them to our email at two girls one ghost podcast at gmail.com. You can rate and review us on iTunes. You can tell other people to listen. That's super helpful. And we also have Patreon that you can donate to. We have merch. We have social Mm -hmm. media that you can follow us on there's plenty of ways to support us so many quick shout out to our editor eric
1: and brooke foster at upfire digital thank you so much to you both and to your whole team for editing our podcast and making us sound good so that linda can compliment us
0: and thank you to our Patreon donors. And just as a reminder, we did update our tiers on Patreon. So if you're a patron donor or if you would like to be, check out all of the new things that come with each tier. And we will see, see you, you on the other, other side. side.